0: We're gonna fly over polar bears, and see them, and look at them, and uh, be with the polar bears? Yes! No, we're not. Yes, we are! No, we're not! Is that why you're calling yourself Greg? That's his name. Is it? Yes. Doctor! I know. Dinosaurs. On a spaceship. Dude, I'm not sure I could ever love Moose and drag my ass as much as you do, okay? Two True Freaks presents Hope of All Trades, hosted by Hope Molinax, talking like a man and fangirling like a lady since 2010. Getting past him should be simple enough now, since he seems to be letting frost giants sneak by under his nose. Bazinga. I don't care. We can talk about normality till the cows come home. What is normal? What's wrong? What are cows. This is my bargain, you mewling quim. Great. Let's watch. Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of Hope of All Trades. My name is Hope Malinak. I'm the host of this show. Thank you so much for listening. All right, so I have a really special show for you today. But first, I just want to address something really fast. Um, I know this show has been a little bit touch and go the last few months, and I just wanted to apologize for that. About the last five months, I've have been dealing with a lot of things. Uh, I had a change of jobs. I've been dealing with a health issue that I'm still trying to get under control. And it's just I've been also trying to balance my time between writing full-time, my new job, and podcasting. And podcasting, sadly, has been the one getting the short end of the stick. So between all these, I just haven't been able to do my show. I usually want to do it monthly, and it just hasn't been happening as of late. So I do apologize. I'm hoping going into 2015, it'll be more steady and I'll be able to keep going. You can also, uh, though, if, if you want to hear me in other shows, you can also hear me on Who True Freaks which is 2 True Freaks Doctor Who podcast. I've been on a few episodes over there. But I do apologize that I haven't been able to stay on top of this show. So thank you so much. I I just wanted to thank you guys. Thank you so much for always listening and supporting me, and I appreciate you're here. And uh, New Year's resolution going into 2015 is I'm going to be, hopefully, consistently putting out this show. But as you guys know, life sometimes takes the front seat. But it happens. We'll see how it goes. So today... Ha. I'm excited about today. Today I'm going to do my best choices of 2014. I've never done a show like this before. I might make this a, an annual thing. My best of 2014. Um, I'm going to be talking about movies, televisions, and comic books. Um, why these three? Because I love them. Why not? <laughs> um, I mean, because I, I I thought about throwing books in here, but I'm not the best book reviewer, and I when you when I do book reviews, I'm always just like I love it, yay! Mm. I I don't know. I always feel silly when I do book reviews. I don't know, it's me personally. But if I had to choose my favorite book of 2014, it would be Princess Stott by Anne Rice. Um, I absolutely loved it. It was fantastic. I'm almost done with it. I'm very very close to being done, and I just don't. I just need to finish it. <laughs> so that's a that's the other thing because. Prince of Lestat is so far my favorite book of twenty fourteen, but I just I'm almost done with it, and I haven't had a chance to actually sit and really finish it. So it's actually on my bed. I'm looking at it right now. So yeah, that's my choice for twenty fourteen. Yay! So first, I'm gonna talk about movies that I loved in the, this year. I'm. I'm also going to do television, and I'll finish up with my favorite comics. I will say, oh, and I also want to do the things that I missed in 2014, and there's still one thing I'm looking forward to in 2014. It hasn't come out yet. comes out next week, I think. Yeah, next week. So, at the time of me recording this. So I'll talk about that at the very, very, very end. Let's get started. About movies, before I jump into this. My television list of 2014 is big. I have so many choices on there, but I only have three movies. I'm not a big movie person for two reasons. Number one, I, I do love going out and seeing movies. It's just very expensive. Um, movies have gotten to be so expensive now that I have to really, really, really want to see a movie, to, to I like, actually go to the theaters and take time and, and actually sit and watch it. That being said, I could you might ask like why don't I watch them at home? Because if I'm not at work, my other, my other vocation is writing. I'm trying to get my writing career starting. So if I'm not at work, I'm writing. And the thing is, is uh, what I love about television is there's commercials. So I kind of will watch a TV show and then power right through the commercials. And there's not really commercials with movies. And so it's really hard for me to actually sit and go, okay, I'm about to take two and a half hours out of my day and sit and watch a movie. Once again, I really have to want to see a movie to do that. So movies is just something that I'm, I'm not a, I've never been a really big movie person I love movies, but I just, you know, I'm not a big, big movie person So that's why I tend to have more television p- things on my list And I tend to cover television shows more than I cover movies I say as I had four Winter Soldier podcasts <laughs> And like not really any television podcasts this, this year Other than Once Upon a Time That being said, let's jump into it So I have three movies on my list the first one I'm going to go with, uh, is, is was a complete surprise to me. Um, when I saw the concept and heard about it, I was like, what is this? Why are they making a movie about this? And then I saw the trailer, and the trailer was hilarious, and that's the Lego movie. I was totally surprised at the Lego movie, and even then, the movie wasn't even what I thought it was in the trailer, I was completely surprised by it. I love kids' movies. I love kids' things. I, I think it's just from being a nanny, and I'm, I have young nieces and nephews, and so I like to be on top of, like, the things they're watching, and just children's television show has a bad rap. So many more adults need to watch kids' television, because animated shows are fantastic. And the Lego Movie just completely surprised me. I, w- I didn't think it would have that kind of humor. It has kind of that, I don't want to say that kind of hipster humor that's, like, really popular right now, but it's, like, really matter-of-fact humor. And it was smart. You know, after they had the reveal that they're all actually toys and Will Ferrell's and the kid playing his kid, Spaceman, like they're actually really toys and that these are different worlds, the humor made sense. Like, for example, whenever they were running away, they'd be like, 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 make a sound and it didn't make sense until you saw that and then you realize it's a kid playing with them through the entire movie. And it was really great. It wasn't what I expected. It was funny, and I'm very excited for the sequel. Not only just for the Lego Movie 2, I'm excited for the Batman sequel. The Batman sequel is going to be freaking fantastic, because Batman was by far the best character of the Lego Movie. Hands down. I'm very excited for the sequels. I think they're going to be absolutely fantastic, and I'm just stupid excited for it. It was actually a very beautiful movie, like how they would do like fires and made water and stuff. It it was actually a very beautiful movie, and the design elements for it was fantastic, and especially for each of the different worlds, it was very aesthetically pleasing. My next favorite movie of 2014, I'm actually not going to talk too much about it, because I did what four podcasts on it <laughs> I still have one podcast for Winter Soldier Captain America Winter Soldier that I have yet to put up because I just never got to it maybe I'll put it up later as like the lost episode that just never happened but yeah I, I, I really talked in depth about Captain America Winter Soldier so I'm not really going, going to go into it that much but the reason I want to at least give a nod to it was it was the movie I was looking forward to the most like all year because before I get to Guardians of the Galaxy, because that was my favorite movie of the year, out of the two Marvel movies, I was looking forward to Winter Soldier the most. Mainly because, if you know me, I love Sebastian Stan. I'm a big fan of his. I've loved him since the Covenant. And I love him as Bucky Barnes. Miss him as the Mad Hatter. At once. But I absolutely love Sebastian Stan. So I, I, I was really looking forward to this movie all year. And it did not disappoint. It surprised me with the Hydra reveal about how it changed the course of the franchise. It totally blew everything previous to it out of the water. It set the stage for Phase 2, and it just... and I See, I can't even talk about it. I've already talked about it so much. I I, I wasn't expecting them to change the course of the franchise, and it affected Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I thought was smart about how they carried it over into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and now Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. hasn't been the same since. But I I really enjoyed Captain America, Lunar Soldier. It was... It was way better than I thought it was going to be because I knew it was going to be great, but it was phenomenal. It was was hands-down phenomenal. But it still was not as good as my favorite movie of the year, which was Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy was probably the biggest risk that Marvel took, and it ended up being the biggest surprise of 2014. I don't think anybody... Expected it to be as wildly successful as it was. And I know a lot of people are kind of upset because I guess some people were like, well, I knew what Guardians of the Galaxy were. Like a year ago, no one knew what Guardians of the Galaxy is. I think that's cool. Maybe because I work in a comic book store now and I sell comics, but I mean, I think it's really cool when they introduce an entirely new generation to these kind of smaller titles. It's kind of like what BBC did with Sherlock. You know, I never had an interest to read the original source material until BBC Sherlock because I've just never really been digging into the mystery genre. But after watching BBC Sherlock, I've gone back this year and I've been really digging into the original source material, and it's great. I always love when things like this bring a new generation. Like, same thing with Doctor Who. Like, a lot of old Whovians didn't like the new Whovians. Being a new Whovian myself, I I love, you know, seeing the old stuff and seeing the new stuff and having this new generation. I don't know. it's, It's just me personally. So I have no problem with a whole new group of people who didn't know what a Guardian of the Galaxy was last year. And now they're really interested. And I've seen a lot of young people, like 16-year-olds, going through the old Bronze and Silver Age comics trying to find original Guardians of the Galaxy stuff. I think it's great. I have no problem with it. And it was a huge risk on Marvel's side because because of the fact that no one really knew what it was. I know when they announced it, when they announced Phase 2... I didn't know what a guardian of the galaxy was, and when I read the original premise of what it was, it sounded crazy. You have pretty much a space pirate meeting up with a raccoon and a thug and a tr- and a thug is a tree. You have a murderer and an assassin and they're good guys, like the just the entire premise sounds insane. Absolutely insane. And it works. From day one, Marvel was so smart. I'm going to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy a little bit longer because I wanted to do a Guardians of the Galaxy podcast and I never got a chance to. So I'm going to talk about this one a little bit. From day one, Marvel was really smart. The way they opened the very first teaser trailer and they were like, okay, here's the wrap. And they did a lineup. And they talked about each individual character and they were like, Groot, blah blah blah, this is Drax, blah blah blah, Gamora, blah blah blah, this is Star Lord, this is Rocket. It was very smart. Especially, I like, a good job, marketing department, because they introduced the characters and made them seem, and, and showed just enough snippet of their personalities to make you interested in it. And just a little, like, it, it was brilliant. Like, and the cast is great. Like, I didn't know John C. Riley was gonna be in it. Until so I saw the trailer, and I absolutely love John C. W- Reilly. Love him so much. I loved—okay, let me do a quick rundown. Love Drex. Drex was the character that surprised me the most. I didn't think I was going to like Drex as much as I did, and he ended up probably being my favorite character. I just love how straightforward he is. I Maybe it's a little nostalgia. When I was a kid, I used to watch wrestling with my dad. Um, it was like our thing. And so I grew up watching like all the, all the old wrestlers like Sting and Ric Flair and, and Hulk Hogan. like That was my kidhood. And I was like my and my dad's thing. So I remember David Bautista when he was a wrestler. And I remember watching it. So I was really happy and surprised to see him. And he, I, I wasn't sure how well he'd be able to tackle a role. He was a fantastic actor. He brought so much emotion and love into Drax. And he was absolutely fantastic, and he was the biggest surprise. I, I thought, I knew I was going to really, really love Rocket and, and Star-Lord, and I think everybody did, but I think everybody was surprised by Drax. He was fantastic. I wanted more Groot, because before the movie came out, I was doing a lot of reading up on Guardians, and I started reading a lot of the comics, especially the currently running series. Um, and I absolutely love Groot, and I love Vin Diesel. <laughs> I absolutely love Vin Diesel. I love him so much. And even though he wasn't acting the role, I, I really wanted more Groot in the movie, Because for me, the very ending when Groot sacrificed himself and he had the lovely we are Groot moment, like we are all Groot. For me personally, it didn't have the emotional impact because we didn't actually have that much of Groot leading up to it. Because there's a lot of focus on Star-Lord and on Rocket and on Gamora and Drax. And I think Groot was probably the least focused on character of the entire movie. So that ending was not emotionally didn't have the emotional payoff for me, but I still was sad because it's Groot and I love Groot. And we got dancing baby Groot at the end, so it was totally worth it. I wish they did more with Gamora because Zoe Saldana is amazing and she's beautiful and she's gorgeous and I love her from The Losers. Oh, I should put The Losers on here. I saw The Losers this uh, this year and it was fantastic. Okay, that's an, uh, that's an honorable mention, The Losers, even though it came out like years ago. Her nebula, and I just felt like, kind of got a little bit of the short end of the stick. Like, it was, I was really excited about the two of them being in this movie, especially Karen Gillan from, you know, because I love Doctor Who, and I loved her as Amy Pond. I I don't know, I just feel like the ladies got a little bit of the short end of the stick this mo- movie. Like, we didn't really get a lot of their backstory. We didn't get a lot of great emotional stuff with them. But I will say that I, in the trailers, when they were showing a lot of, like, Gamara and Star-Lord-like, almost kissing and like reaching for each other in peril i am so happy nobody nobody admitted feelings you know her and star lord weren't making out at the end like i am so happy that there were no couples in this movie that is really refreshing because think about it how often do you see a movie where there's always a guy and a girl and at the very last scene they're like kissing and making out and swapping spit so it was fantastic and so rewardingly refreshing. And I, I think I, that's what I really, really, really liked about, you know, Natasha Romanoff, too. There was a lot of teasing about how, like, her and Steve Rogers were going to get together. And no, they were just playing it up. And, like, they, when they kissed in the mall, it was just playing up. But people freaked out when they saw early production photos and stuff. So it's really... I, I really like when these girls and these, like, main characters, like, don't get together. I, I think friendships are so much more strong and when it comes to the course of story. I know me personally. I'm closer with my friends than I would be with any other relationship because I consider my really close friends family, and we have much more complex relationships than I do with, than I have like in the past when I've dated people. So for me, I, I really liked that about Gamora and that she didn't actually end up with anybody. It's, it was really great. I wish Ronan was more developed, but it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of the thing with Marvel is they have a villain per movie. And that's it. I remember reading this, oh god, was it, was it Entertainment Weekly? It might have been. I think it was Entertainment Weekly. And they were, t- they were doing an article of, like, how do you know it's a Marvel movie? One of the things was, the villains are awful, except Loki. <laughs> and I think that's where, why Loki has shined more than any other Marvel villain. It's because he's well, he's more well-developed, because I, I, we don't have Ronin's backstory. And that's the thing, we don't know what makes Ronan tick. Ronan actually has a really rich backstory in the comics, and like how he came up and how he became who he is. That's why they were so smart in Thor, because they showed us Loki's beginnings, we've seen him rise to power, and then we've seen him fall. Um, and that's what makes Loki such a great villain, and probably the best villain of Marvel to date. Because we don't see that with Justin Hammer. We don't see that with um, Aldrich. We don't see that with Ronan. I I just, I love Lee Pace. And I wanted to see so much more out of Lee Pace. Though his face at the very end when Star-Lord is breakdancing and he's just looking at him like, What are you doing? And there's a moment he actually looks at Gamora and he's like, what is he doing? Gamora's like, I don't even know, guys. I don't even know. What are you doing? Peter, what are you doing? Um, So I I wanted more out of Ronan, but I want more out of most Marvel villains ever. Rocket was spectacular. We knew Rocket would always be spectacular. I mean, he was just going to... He's a furry critter in a movie, in a superhero movie. Everyone's going to love him. When it comes to Star-Lord, I think they were incredibly smart casting a comedic actor when they chose Chris Pratt. I think if they would have chosen an action star, while a lot of action stars can do comedy and they can do drama, I think what makes Chris Pratt wonderful is because of his, comedy is his strong point. And he actually worked his butt off, because good lord, have you seen before and after pictures of Chris Pratt? Looking at him in Parks and Recs, and then looking at him in Guardians of the Galaxy. That man lost so much weight and in so much shape for this role, and it, I, I have to applaud him. But that being said, he was also very handsome. I think he was just as cute in bright and red, so it was, it's a different kind of handsome and sexy. I don't know. I I like fool people. Anyway, Chris Pratt was perfect as Star Lord. I don't think anybody else could have taken that role. He made Star Lord lovable. He showed a lot of range, like so much range, from from the action stuff to the the comedy to the dramatic moments. Um, I mean, it was it was fantastic. I mean, Bravo, Guardians of the Galaxy for being the biggest surprise and one of the biggest successes of 2014. So those are my three favorite movies of 2014. And now we're going to go into the, probably the, the biggest trunk of this show, which is television. Like I said, I'm more of a television person, and a lot of things happened this year that I absolutely love. So let's get started. I'm not really going to talk much about this. I just, I'm just i kind of sort of mentioning it. Both the Olympics and the FIFA World Cup are this year. They don't often fall within the same year. Usually... Actually, they actually are usually spread out really well to where you have Winter Olympics, Men's World Cup, Summer Olympics, Women's World Cup, and something you need to know about me. I love sports. <laughs> I'm a sports kid. Love baseball, love soccer, love hockey. Baseball and soccer are my two big ones, definitely. I'm a diehard Braves fan. My, my boys sucked this year. <laughs> <laughs> My Braves were so terrible in the last half of this. And then we traded Jason Hayward. Why did we trade Hayward? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I love I love sports, but I especially love the Olympics, and I love the World Cup. My love for the Olympics is a little bit nerdy. It actually really stemmed from the anime Hetalia. And if you remember, a long time ago, like five years ago, I did a Hetalia podcast forever ago and it's not even on hope of all trades it's on freaking the main feed like episode 80 something it's it was forever ago and in the main feed they're in like episode 500 <laughs> and so it's it's been a long time but i love the camaraderie and the politics and the controversy and the sportsmanship and the commercials like i love everything about the olympics like i am just a mess <laughs> when i watch the olympics because i i just i'm if you oh god something you need to know about me it's kind of embarrassing is i i get very emotional when i watch like really inspirational things Even if it's like a freaking Coca-Cola commercial and they're like, and this person overcame all obstacles and won the gold medal. And that 30 second time slot, like I'm in tears at the end. Like I'm just like, he overcame all obstacles and won the gold medal. Like I am just like a mess. And I love the Summer Olympics and I love the Winter Olympics for completely different reasons. Because this year was the Winter Olympics, and they have curling! Curling is the best sport ever! And oh my god, those Swedes and those Canadians have some arms on them. And the curling, oh my god, girl, go look it up. But also, my favorite part of the Olympics, though, is definitely the opening ceremonies. I'm, I am a bit of a history buff. That's why I love Italia so much, and I, the Italia fandom goes freaking crazy during Olympics and World Cups. because they, you know, they're, the Italia. If you don't know, they personify the countries of the world, and then you take you through history. It's it's an anime. It's so much fun being a Italia fan during those times. But it's also fun because I am a history buff. I love history. I love studying history. I love watching stuff that's historical. I love watching the opening ceremonies because they show you a history of the country. And being also a theater kid, theater was my major, especially technical theater, I love seeing the spectacle. Like, I love seeing all the lights and the sets and the dancing and the costumes and all the special effects. And every year has something different to bring. My favorite still today is the London opening ceremony. That's still my favorite. It was It was fantastic and... Just a giant-ass Voldemort get defeated by Mary Poppins is still just a stellar memory in my brain. Go look it up. But also with the World Cup, like I said, I absolutely love love soccer. I love the camaraderie. I love seeing um, countries compete, and I, I love soccer. And oh, my God. That Brazil-Germany game was <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. It's just... The comment, like the commentary and the commentators during the Brazil Germany game, because if you don't know, Brazil has is like the king of soccer. This world, year's World Cup was set in Brazil. They were slated from the get go to win the World Cup in Brazil, and be like everybody was like, they, like no one doubted it. After they lost their best player, which is pretty much what their entire team was around, because he had fractured his back in the game before, Germany destroyed them. If you, The one thing you need to know about soccer is they don't have high scores. You're lucky to have, like, maybe two or three points in a game. They don't score a lot of goals. Germany won, like, freaking 7-2, to two, which is unheard of. And they scored, like, three goals in, like, 90 seconds. And the entire time, the com- commentators were like, Is this real life? This is actually happening. We are very British, and we are trying to be nice about it, but Brazil is being atrocious. I don't think they showed up. What is happening right now? Like if you can find if you can find clips of that game, it is freaking hilarious to watch. <laughs> and for the rest of the game they're just like, this is really happening. Look at them. They're not even trying anymore. You can hear a pin drop. Oh wait, there's some noise. Oh it's the German players. Ha ha ha! Ha ha! ha. Like it was just fantastic to watch. <laughs> I say as I said that I wasn't gonna talk about this too long. I absolutely love the opening ceremonies, I love the Olympics, I love the World Cup. It's my favorite thing to watch. If you- I've skipped work before to watch the Olympics and the World Cup. I was quote unquote sick several times, especially when the US was playing. I can't wait for the next one. I'm, I'm really sad. Like I said, they usually fall like one a year, but I'm going to have to wait an entire year before the next one, so sad face. Uh, next thing actually actually premiered last week. Last week, yes or earlier this week. I don't remember. Time is weird. It's, it's the holidays and I work retail. I have no concept of time other than it's Christmas season. It's all one big day. Um, something you need to know about me, I absolutely love Pixar. I don't talk about it too much. I actually have been really wanting to sit down and do a Pixar show and talk about like all the Pixar movies and my favorite. I just haven't had a chance to. Absolutely love Pixar, and what premiered last week was Toy Story That Time I Forgot. I love Toy Story. It's, it's one of those movies... That It's actually one of those franchises I grew up with. The franchise hit my generation just right. If you look at my generation, most of us were kids when the first one came out, and in Toy Story 3, when Andy was going off to college, my generation was in college or just recently got out of college. I think when Toy Story 3 came out, I was in my last year. Um, Oh, I was, because I remember talking with it about my friends and we were all like stupid emotional about it. Um, but ever since then, I have been enjoying that they've been doing these, like, once a year, 30-minute shorts, mainly because I love these characters, and I really don't want them to die. And what's great is that the original voice cast comes keeps coming back and, and, and doing these little specials. Toy Story That Time Forgot was the new one that just came out. I didn't like it as much as Toy Story of Terror, which was last year's, but that's mainly because it didn't have my favorite couple, which is Buzz and Jessie. Like, I'm really invested in this this couple and they're finally together and i just want to see them it was so fantastic I, i love this concept that they keep developing these minor characters and that's what i liked about specials and i wish more tv shows and movies and stuff would do specials because i love minor characters minor characters are almost always my favorite characters um i have this really bad habit of really liking minor characters and then i get really sad because they never do anything or they get retconned, or written out of the show, or they just don't use them. Once upon a time, but uh, that's what I like about the Toy Story special. So, like this one was all about Trixie and Trixie the little Triceratops, and we haven't had much Trixie to this point. But we get to see Trixie really step up into her own, into her own, and be her own character and find her place, which is nice. And and I hope, and I like that they do this with all the the minor characters. and They've done this for a while now. I I would like to actually see them do this more with some of the others. And actually go back to Sunnyside. Sunnyside and uh, Toy Story 3. I would like to see them and see how Barbie and Ken are doing again. But they already had a little short. So I understand why they probably wouldn't go back to that. Um, But I I really enjoyed it. I didn't like it as much as Toy Story of Terror, like I said. Because that one was fantastic. Um, And I'm, I'm excited about Toy Story 4. When I heard that they were doing a Toy Story 4, I was just like, okay, come on. I love the franchise. I love what they're doing. I don't think they need another entire movie. Until I read that it's going to be a romance. It's going to be a romantic story about a couple that are finally, that's finally together. And my first thing was like, I, the first thing I thought of was Buzz and Jesse. Are they going to do an entire movie about Buzz and Jesse? Oh my god! <laughs> so I, if it's not that. I'm going to be really upset. If it is all, the Buzz and Jesse movie, I'm going to be freaking ecstatic and be first in line. So I cannot wait to see where they continue to go with the Toy Story franchise. I hope they keep doing these specials, actually. I really enjoy them. And honestly, it's a quick little paycheck for the actors and the the, the producers, so I don't see why they wouldn't keep doing it. Next, an adult show. <laughs> as I say, as I've been talking about cartoons for a while and comic book stuff. Well, I take this back. It's a comic book show. I'm gonna talk about Gotham. So Gotham, huh, I I really am enjoying most of Gotham. I say most of Gotham because I'm not a big fan of police procedurals. And when you actually sit down and think about Gotham and take out all the Batman elements, it's the exact same as any police procedural. It's just like CSI or SVU or those, those shows with the letters. I don't... I've never been a fan of crime dramas. I've never been a fan of police procedurals. I don't like those kind of shows. What makes Gotham interesting is the Batman characters. And seeing these origin stories come about. And my god, Penguin. Freaking Penguin Oswald is amazing. Like, Penguin's Umbrella was the best episode of the season to me. Because it was the only episode that wasn't really written like the episode of the week. It was actually written like a dramatic episode. And it felt like a drama, not like a crime show while the rest of the show feels like a crime show. That one was the really only episode that I was like, yes, this is what I want this entire show to be. This episode is, like, the high point of the season. It should have been the series finale. Like, that should have been the last episode of, of like, before they went on hiatus, because it was a fantastic episode. But Penguin, Robin Lord Taylor is killing it in the role. He is absolutely stellar, he's a cutie patootie, he's super sexy, so is Edward Nygma. And Nygma is fantastic, Corey is handsome. Sorry! (laughs) Shallow! I know, I'm so shallow. Hey, I'm single, so I can look. He just brings so much to the role, and I think, what's interesting about Penguin is while he's deadly brutal, he's also really sympathetic, and that's why they did a great job in the pilot. Um, setting up, and the whole time he was actually working for Fish, they they made him a very sympathetic character, and you show where his plan is, and you show like his journey and all the hardship he's going through, and it's kind of interesting to have these hardships for a bad guy. Well, no, not not to have hardships for a bad guy. All bad guys go through hardships. But it's interesting because you're just like, okay, I know you're doing terrible things, and we see in Penguin's Umbrella that he's actually working for the big bad and everything, And but still, it's he's so great in the role... And then, can we talk about Jada Plinkett Smith? Jada Smith is amazing as Fish. And what I like about Fish is that she is not afraid to get her hands dirty. She, she doesn't, she's not one of those, like, villainesses that's like, oh, no, my bodyguards are gone. She's like, oh, God, my bodyguards are gone. All right, I wanted to crack some skulls anyway. Bring it on, bitches. Like, she is just such a strong female character. And she's smart. She, like, the thing is, a lot of times with strong female characters, they're either, they're either really smart or they're strong. And, they, like, she's a really well-balanced character. She knows when to wait. She knows when to hold back. She knows when to bide her time. And she also knows when to act. She knows when to take out people. She knows when sh- stuff needs to get done. Like, she's very smart. And I mm, I don't know who I want to win more because I love Penguin and I love Fish. And I don't know who I want to win more because I'm in both of their, I'm in, I'm rooting for both of them. And for one of them to win, one of them is going to have to lose. So I, yay! Yay both of you! Be friends! <laughs> I don't know. But Gotham's been really great. I wish they would do more with Gordon. Gordon bores the crap out of me. So does Barbara. The good guys bore the crap out of me in Gotham. I could do with or without them. In fact, I'd be perfectly okay if they just took out Gordon and took out Barbara. And actually took out all the police force and just like let the bad guys go at it. Though I would have to say if they took out the police force, they wouldn't have Ed Nygma. And I love Ed. I can't wait to see his Riddler arc start. I can't wait to see what they're going to go with him. So yeah. Yeah, Gotham has been great. I've been really enjoying it. It was a really good run. I'm glad I got picked up for the rest of the season. And we'll have to see where it goes. Gotham is fantastic. I talked a little bit about this in the last Who True Freaks episode. And we're going to talk about it later after the Christmas special. But I'm, I'm talking about the 12th season. The 12th season? Wow. The 12th Doctor, haha, Peter Capaldi in Doctor Who this season. If you want to hear more about my thoughts on Capaldi, go listen to the Fires of Pompeii episode of Who True Freaks. You can go to type on who, uh click on Who True Freaks, and it should, I think it's the last episode as, at the time, but it's the Fires of Pompeii episode. We gave like little brief summaries of our thoughts on Capaldi so far. And we also talked about how in January we're going to recap the entire season um, of Capaldi. So that is coming, so I'm not going to talk too much about it. All I do want to mention is that I really love Capaldi. I could give or take or leave Clara behind. I really don't like Clara. Love Danny Pink. But the thing about the season is... I wasn't a big fan of Matt Smith's last little bit with Clara. Um, a lot of it was because I just don't like Clara, and I also think the episodes were really weak and boring. I haven't really enjoyed Doctor Who since the pawns left. Amy and Rory were fantastic, and that was the last time I really like was waiting for Doctor Who, and I could not wait for the next episode, and I was so excited for it. So Doctor Who's been really boring to me, and it made me really sad, until Peter Capaldi came. Peter Capaldi gave me back my show. I absolutely love his doctor. I loved the majority of the episodes. There was, I mean, every season has its bad episodes. But I, I enjoyed most of the season. And I wanted to see what happens next. I was surprised to see the Master came back. Missy was great. Um, I wish some people didn't die. <laughs> but especially Danny. Love Danny. But I always love male Companions. If you, if you listen to any... Who, true freaks episode you know it. i absolutely love male companions but i i just i i missed dr who and i missed having my show and and capaldi gave, gave me my show back it was fantastic to have him and i i am so excited for the next season a little a little not excited for the christmas special but christmas specials are usually cheesy i i came to the conclusion it's going to be a little cheesy and nick frost is playing santa claus that's just great so we'll see how that goes but I'm excited to see where Capaldi goes, and now that actually Clara, I saw some news. Clara is staying. Jenna Coleman decided to stay. I think her name is Jenna Coleman. See, so yeah, I don't even know. But I, I was excited to ha- finally have my show back. This next show was a complete surprise to me, cause <laughs> I don't watch shows like this. I just, I just don't. I don't like the horror genre. At all. I, I don't like scary movies. I don't like jump scares. I don't like scary video games. I just I I'm a big wuss. I'm a huge wuss. I don't like scary things. <laughs> I like happy bodies and singing and musicals and kids shows and, and comedies and romance. I don't like scary things. And my, my friends keep trying to take me to horror movies and I'm just like, no, have fun guys. I'll sit out here and like go see the new Disney movie. Yay, Disney. Like I just I don't like scary things. One day I was I was my my best friend was house sitting and I was coming to house sit with her and to keep her company and she was like, Hey Hope, I know you don't like scary things, but one of my favorite TV shows of all time is premiering tonight. I can we please watch it? And I was like, Oh god, what what's the TV show? And she goes, It's American Horror Story Freak Show. I, I, I knew about American Horror Story, I knew the concept, I I knew it was Ryan Murphy, and seeing Ryan Murphy write Glee and then write all these shows, <laughs> well, writing America Horror Story, I was just like, whoa, dude, your range is fantastic. And so ugly sucked. Um, oh, Cory Monteith, rest in peace. I, was, I still miss Cory Monteith, I'm sorry. I, I knew the concept, I knew every season was different, you didn't have to watch them in order, none of the previous seasons built on it, and so I was sitting here going, okay. Okay, I will watch it with you, and I'll give it a try. Oh my god, I fell in love with this show, like, it's... <laughs> the first several episodes, Twisty the Clown scared the crap out of me. Cause I you know, I don't really have a problem with clowns. Um, you know, being in theater, I, I've worked with clowns before, I know they're just people and stuff. But clowns, and clowns have never freaked me out. Twisty the clown was terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Like I was like checking windows to make sure he wasn't outside and I, I refused to, after seeing it with my friend I wouldn't watch the show until the next day at like noon in the middle of daylight Like I, and even then like I would go outside and expect Twisty to be standing there like it still scared the crap out of me but what I like about this show is how they turn everything on its head things are not what they seem so like after after they had the, like for example after they had the episode where you found out Twisty the clown's backstory I missed him I miss him in the show because he died and I'm sorry spoiler if you're behind I missed him and I wasn't scared of him anymore I understood him I under I I got why he did what he did and he wasn't scary anymore and that's what I liked about this show is sometimes the normal people like Dandy Dandy is the scariest character on this show because he's normal he's normal and he's crazy he's not he's the true freak Like, all the, like, all the quote-unquote freaks in the show, they're, like, the nicest people, minus Jessica Lange's character, who's crazy. Elsa, Elsa is insane. Oh, my gosh. But, like, you know, they're the nice people, and the normal people are scary. Like, oh, gosh, I don't remember her name, but, like, when the girl wanted to run away with Paul and, like, be her lover, her very normal father tortured and mutilated her to make her look like a freak because he was normal and he didn't want his name tarnished. They're the scary people, and the show just totally took me by surprise. I actually really want to go back and watch the previous seasons, and I know they're going to be creepy, and that's what I liked about it. It's I'm a list, and it's creepy scary. It's not like jump scare scary, evil bad guys coming out and slasher murder you scary. It's, it's creepy scary, and it makes you think. It's psychologically scary. But the, the show just took me by surprise. It was not what I expected it to be. I'm still a little bit of a wuss. Um, every, every once in a while, the show really disturbs me, <laughs> and it makes me really think about stuff. I, I stepped outside my box with this one, and I was pleasantly surprised. Am I going to go to the movies and watch a scary movie? No. Am I going to watch a scary TV show? No. <laughs> but this one, this was my exception of the year, and I loved it. Thank you, American Horror Story Freak Show. Um, this next show I wanted to bring up because it actually premiered way back in January and then I had a summer hiatus and it came back for season two this fall. It's, <laughs> it's one of those happy shows that I really, really love. It's called About a Boy. It's on NBC and it premiered, like I said, in January and it's fantastic. It's based on a book. If you've seen the Hugh Grant movie, Hugh Grant did a movie version of the book and this is like kind of a TV show based on the book. It's, it's not the same as the book and it's not the same as the movie, but it, they're all very similar. But the whole premise is you have a guy named Will. He's a single guy. He lives out of royalties on one Christmas song he wrote forever ago, but he made a butt-ton of money on this one Christmas song. And Fiona, who's played by Minnie Driver, who is wonderful. I love Minnie Driver, and she's absolutely fantastic in the show. And Will's played by David Walton. I should throw that out there. Minnie Driver plays a character named Fiona, and she has a young son, 11-year-old son, named Marcus. He's played by Benjamin Stockholm, and this was actually what kind of made me go, Hey, I know that kid. Uh, he played young Greg in Once Upon a Time. Benjamin Stockholm did. So that when I saw the commercials, I was like, Hey, that's little Greg. And I, and, I was, and then I saw more about the show, and I went to watch it, and it was fantastic. Uh, but Fiona and Marcus move next door to, Will, uh, to next to uh, Single Bachelor Will, and Marcus makes friends with Will, and Fiona... Is the complete opposite. Where Will is selfish and a little bit of a womanizer, and he's pretty much a big old man child. Fiona is a vegan hippie, and she doesn't eat meat. And she, she's a little bit like, for example, in the opening episode of Students two, her and Marcus like to reenact her, uh, Marcus's birth. Like they're just, she's a little bit hippy dippy, and they're good clash and opposites. What I really like about uh, about a boy is, for one, the humor is spectacular. I love Marcus and Will's friendship, and I think a lot of that is because I can see a lot of of myself and Will, um, in a way that when I was a nanny, um, like Will, you are in these children's lives, and they look up to you, but at the same time you're not their parent. And that becomes, that, that, that comes up a lot in the show, um, Fiona constantly is telling Will, you're not Marcus's dad, you're not his parent, you can't dictate things in his life. And I had that uh, happen a lot when I was a nanny. Like the kids would come in, like for example, ask me about advice. When when one of my kids had the sex talk at school, she wanted to talk to me about it. And I I had this moment. Where I was like, this is something you should really talk to your mom about. And she was like, well, I don't want to talk to mom about that. I want to talk to you. And I was like, ugh, I'm not your parent on that one because I didn't know if it's okay if your mom wants me and you to talk about this. And so I, I actually understand Will's position a lot because you are a force when I was a nanny and these children's lives. And, and they have a really nice friendship and it's nice seeing Will kind of grow into his own through Marcus. Um, and Marcus is becoming more getting confidence from Will's influence. But the best part of the show is Fiona and Will's relationship. Think about all the TV shows where you have a guy lead and a girl lead. How often do they get together? How often at one point do they kiss? How often do they have sex or make out or something? And it's been a trend recently that's been very refreshing in television. Where you have all these shows like Sleepy Hollow comes to mind. um, Sleepy Hollow comes to mind. Elementary comes to mind. Where you have these guy-girl duos and there's no romance. There's absolutely zero romance. And they're just friends. And as I was saying before, sometimes friendships are so much better than actual romantic relationships. They're much more complex. You can call your friend out on BS, but you might not call your partner out on BS because you don't want them mad at you because you live with them. Uh, But you can call your friends out on BS all day. And that's exactly what Will and Fiona do. They're a really good balance because they're such opposites of each other. They can see each other's strong points and flaws. And actually, I think it was last week's episode, there was a really great episode where Fiona was trying to date this guy, but she hadn't dated in so long and she was awkward. And she was like, well, you've been giving me crap all day, Will. You think I'm hideous and I'm boring and I'm not funny? And Will's like, Fiona! You're beautiful. But I mean that in a non-romantic way, I mean that in a friend way, because oh my god, Ew, I would never sleep with you, but that guy wants to sleep with you, and he wants to date you. So you're beautiful and you need to feel beautiful, but not because of me. <laughs> like that like they just have a really nice balance and a really great friendship, and they're like the best part is that they give each other crap, but you can tell they really care about each other. And the best part is they both really care about Marcus. And they're both these, like, really great forces. And About-A-Boy is just a really great show. Good job, NBC. Good job, the entire cast and crew, because the supporting cast is just as fantastic. The first episode, the first season's only, like, I think it was seven episodes, if I remember correctly. And it's already, it should be already out on DVD. So I would definitely give it a try, because About-A-Boy was fantastic. Right past Sherlock season three came out. I'm not going to talk about much. I did record a podcast with Chris earlier this year about Sherlock season three. Um, so I'm not really going to go into it, I'm just going to note that it's here. If you want to know my thoughts about Sherlock Season 3, you can listen to that podcast. Pretty much, it was not my favorite season, but it was still Sherlock, and Sherlock is always fantastic. Uh, the second episode with John's wedding is the best, and it also led it up to my favorite convention of the year. The best convention I went to this year was 221 VCon. it's my favorite convention, I absolutely love it. I always convince people to go because lately I've been seeing so much about all these cons, and they're like actor-famous people con, and you drop like $700 just to go stare at pretty actors. And I always tell people, you need to go to a good old-fashioned fan convention, and sit in panels, and be in fandom, because you wouldn't have shows without fandom. And that's what 221B is. And if you want to hear more about 221B I also did several podcasts earlier in the year about that. So yes, the Sherlock season 3 came out, it was fantastic, absolutely loved it, moving on. Ah, you can laugh. You can laugh at me. I understand it. I, I've i done a podcast on this one, too. It was last year. That, so I'm going to talk about this one right fast. But I love My Little Pony. And season four was spectacular. Season four was hands down the best season to date. The characters were fantastic. The plot was solid. There really wasn't a bad episode all season. There were some weaker episodes. They had some great guest episode. Weird Al was fantastic, and his guest spot of My Little Pony this season. But the season as a well whole was great. The show is just getting better and better. I just love how they keep pushing these characters, and I know it sounds silly that they're pushing ponies. They're push, like pushing the characterization on a kids show, but it, they're really stretching these characters. What I love about My Little Pony is sometimes at the end of the day, I don't want to come home and watch something heavy like Gotham, and I love Gotham, and I love like American Horror Freak Show, as I said. But sometimes I just want to come home after a long day. And watch something happy where everything always works out at the end. And it's, you know, you don't really have to think about it. What I like about My Little Pony is they're really, really starting to push these characters and they're stretching them and they're giving them new limitations and they're also giving them new strengths to overcome. And they're and they're also doing different combinations. Like recently they did an Applejack and Rarity episode. And they've done a few Applejack and Rarity episodes, but this one was really good this year. Rarity is trying to change who she is to make a boy like her and Applejack is like that's stupid you should never change yourself to make a boy like you because then they're not worth it you're, they don't like you for you they like you for this person this shell of you that you're pushing out there and even Twilight Twilight is you know probably my le- one of my least favorite of the main six but she was stellar and that's what I like about the show is I actually really like the main six the main six characters like while I like someone and others I don't dislike any of them And that's what's great about the show, like Pinkie Pie is by far my least favorite, like she's at the very bottom of the total cult. But even then, Pinkie had some really strong episodes, she actually had my favorite episodes of the season, because when they actually have episodes focused on her, and you really see her other than like, cakes and parties, like when outside of that, she's a really deep character with really deep emotions, and she struggles with a lot of insecurities. My Little Pony was stellar this season. I can't even really go into a long discussion about it because then I would just talk about My Little Pony forever. But, and the songs were fantastic. The story, I just... If you're... I, yeah, I really loved this season. I'm sorry. I just realized that I'm looking at, like, the last four shows on this TV list. Three out of four of them are cartoons because I'm an adult and I watch cartoons and I don't care. <laughs> oh, so going into the next awesome cartoon... It's Gravity Falls season two. Man, I've been waiting for Gravity Falls to come back, and it has not disappointed. We're not—we're like only halfway through season two, and it has been—it has blown season one out of the water. And I did not think that was possible. Gravity Falls—if you don't know the provenance of the show. And you have these twins named Dipper and Maple, and they go stay with their great uncle for the summer. And they stay in this, little, this tiny little sleepy town called Gravity Falls, where it's pretty much every conspiracy ever is going on, and something magical is happening. And the whole point is that David, uh, David? Dipper finds a journal, and he's trying to find the author of the, the journal, because this journal documents all the creepy, crazy stuff that happens in town, and he wants to find the author, and that's what season two has been about. What you need to know about the show is there's a crazy amount of mythos. Um, There's a lot of Illuminati references. There's hidden codes and messages. If you look in the background, there's like little Easter eggs about what's actually happening. You might see a time-traveling character pop up in the background, and you might notice him like a few episodes later, and they're like kind of altering all these things that's going on. But the show itself is beautiful. Like, it's it's a very funny show and they don't hold back on pushing the boundaries of what's allowed in kids' TV. They're constantly pushing the language. They're p- constantly pushing the content. I remember listening to a podcast with Alex Hirsch, who's the creator, and he is talking about how they're constantly getting letters and notes from S&P and the, like all the censorship companies. <laughs> they're talking. About, they're, he was talking about how there's one joke where in the in the summerween episode they wanted to have a they had a flyer and a shot for a party and the party was like no parents were allowed, and S and P was like S and is a censorship company and S and P was like you can't have this show about how there's no parents at a party what are they going to do and Alex Hirsch was like um have a party and they're like you can't have that so after fighting with S and P for a while they finally write the joke not S and P approved on the flyer. And they got a letter back saying, s approves the S&P joke. <laughs> so, like, they are constantly pushing what's really allowed on kids' TV. There's, there's an episode, for example, where Stan makes a balloon and it says, I heart kids. And as the balloon is taken off, he goes, what the H? And the H falls off the balloon and crushes him. And so, like, they're constantly pushing language. They're constantly pushing, like, really creepy content. There's an episode where Stan kidnaps a man and holds him hostage and uses him as an exhibit in his tourist trap. So like there, it's, there's a lot of really messed up stuff going on in this show that adults can approve of, but there's, it's, there's plenty for kids to love too. And I, and I said it way back when I was uh, recording my Gravity Falls episode, is I like Dipper, Dipper and Mabel, especially Mabel. Mabel is the kind of character I want my young nieces to grow up to be. Um, she's not afraid to be who she is. She knows she's weird. And she doesn't care that she's weird. She doesn't care that she's different. And she embraces who she is. And I want my nieces to grow up to being someone like Mabel. And Dipper is great because he's smart. He's not a brawny guy at all. He's actually a little, like, shrimpy guy and a really shrimpy kid. But he uses his intelligence to save the day. He has no problem thinking his way out of a situation. But when a push comes to shove... He loves his sister, and he will always fight to protect his sister. Like, they have such a really good relationship. The continuity in Gravity Falls is spectacular. It's better than a lot of adult television shows. A lot of, like, I've been having an issue with a show that I love with continuity, and they keep erasing and changing the rules and retconning things that have been laid down in previous seasons, and they're changing all the rules in the the one show I'm watching. And Gravity Falls has never done that. And Alex Hirsch actually said that in an interview that when something happens in the episode, is law if mabel gets a pet pig she's gonna have a pet pig it will always be there it will not change if wendy and robbie break up in this episode it's going to affect both of them continuously like it's not gonna be something that's just dropped and forgotten like these are things that will continue throughout the course of the show because that's how how life is if something happens you can't just change the rules Once upon a time, you can't just change the rules to make it fit the story that you're trying to write. It has to stay and stick and keep on going. And and in Gravity Falls continuity, they they bring up stuff that was in like episode two, like 20 episodes later. Like it's, it's fantastic. They're so good with it. And I'm wondering, I actually kind of wonder how far in advance they've written this show. Like at least maybe, you know, not like word for word, but at least have these plots written out. Because there is stuff in, like, episode 2 that came back, like, like, 14, 15 episodes later that I had completely forgotten about. The characters bring the show in Gravity Falls, especially season 2, there, there is yet to be a bad episode. It, it's, been, it's been pure gold all season long. This next show came on and has already been cancelled, and I cry about it all the time. <laughs> I'm so sad this show got cancelled i'm still counting it as a 2014 show because the first half premiered fall 2013 and it finished spring 2014 and that show is once upon a time in wonderland it was the spinoff of once upon a time of course i love once you guys know i love Once. so of course i'm going to talk about the show okay so i'm really sad that the show is not on the air anymore because once upon a time in wonderland if you don't know it was a spinoff to once and it was all about uh, Alice and her adventures there, and her finding her genie. She was in love with a genie named Cyrus, and she gets help from the always wonderful Michael Socha playing the Nave of Hearts, who you find out is Will Scarlet, who was tied into Robin Hood. And like it was, and there was Jafar. Jafar was the bad guy, and there was the Red Queen, played by the always wonderful Emma Rigby. And and the, later on in the season the second half, they brought in the Jabberwocky, who was the best villain ever to grace once upon a time she blew Rumple and regina out of the freaking water out of the freaking water she was so good the thing about once upon a time wonderland is the first half is okay and that's what killed it <laughs> cuz the second half was freaking stellar it was so much better than the main show The second half was emotional, it was dramatic, it was dark, it was gritty, people died left and right, there was body counts. like, it it did not hold back any punches, and I think a lot of it was, they knew they were cancelled, and they still had filming to do, so they just punched it, they just pushed it as hard as they could, and they got away with everything. The show is so good in the second half, and I wish they brought that, like, that ferociousness to the first half because the first half is okay. The only thing is, is that Will Scarlet, and Michael Socha carried the entire first half. The show doesn't become stellar into the mid-season finale. The mid-season finale on the show is fantastic. Michael Socha, oh my god, he's so good. <laughs> he is also the only thing carrying the main show right now because oh my god they brought Frozen into the main show. And Frozen is destroying the show, Once Upon a Time is awful right now, minus last night's episode. Shatter Sight was the best episode of the season, it was freaking fantastic. The rest of the show has sucked. It's been so awful this season. And Once Upon a Time in Wonderland is worlds better than whatever the Frozen crap they're doing right now. that being said, it's not here anymore, it's not, the show got cancelled and what makes me most sad is there's no DVD for Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. ABC, why is there no DVD for Once Upon a Time in Wonderland? I don't understand this. The show is so good. It was better than the Oz arc. I don't know why people like the Wizard of Oz arc because know was atrocious. And it's better than whatever the crap the Frozen that they're doing because the Frozen stuff is good outside of Once Upon a Time. It'd be good if it was a live-action Frozen show because the actresses are great, the story is great, it just does not fit in the Once universe because this is not the show I signed up for. Season 1 is still the best season, hands down were we talking about Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Why did I like this show so much? I'm going to be referencing only the second half. So in the second half, Alice brought it. Alice was boring in the first half. She finally came to her own. It was kind of fun because for a while there, she was very selfish and she realized she was selfish and she decided to change her ways. Emma Rigby, who played the Red Queen, also named Anastasia, did a complete 180 villain redemption arc. It was beautiful. It was tragic. They completely mentally and emotionally ripped her to pieces and tortured her, and she got back up on her feet and was like, no, I am not going to be the evil queen anymore. I'm not going to be bad. I'm going to change my ways, and I'll be damned if anyone stands in my way. And she became the white queen of Wonderland, and she was fantastic. Jafar, ignoring the first half where he was a campy, cheesy Disney villain, the second half. He was scary, he was menacing, he was conniving, he killed people, he killed a person I think every episode in the second half. Or almost every episode. I can count lizards, him. All those people. He killed at least seven people in the second half, I think, at least. And I think there were only six episodes in the second half, so he killed pretty much a person in an episode. He was dark, and Naveen Andrews. God, I love Naveen Andrews, and I hate that he was so silly in the first half because he brought it in the second half. Cyrus... Cyrus was a weak point for me most of the season. He was just kind of a boring lead male. He didn't really do much, which is sad, because being a 300-year-old genie, you feel like he would know more about everything, and he kind of just sat around. Uh, what I really liked was his backstory episode when you found out how he got, became a genie, and you saw that he was selfish and spoiled, and that's why he was cursed. That was about the only good episode, so I could have actually did or could have given or t- taken Cyrus away because I really didn't care. The most important thing you need to know about Once Upon a Time in Wonderland is Will Scarlet. Michael Socha, as the Nave of Hearts, was the shining point of the show. When the show got cancelled, people were writing on news sites and writing to the Once producers and ABC saying, We're okay with the show being cancelled, but can we keep the Nave of Hearts? Because he's fantastic! Because the thing is, the name is funny. First and foremost, he's funny, he's sarcastic. And what's refreshing in this show about fairy tales is he's very realistic. He's lived in our world, and he has no point saying when, when uh, Alice like, has a change of clothes, he's like, you changed your clothes. And she's like, yeah, well, the clothes cart came by. And he goes, of course it did. Of course in Wonderland there's a clothes cart. Do you think there's a coffee cart? And just he has no problem looking at characters and being like, no, that's stupid. Why are you being selfish? He even looks at Alice and goes, what makes you think that your romance is so important? What about my happy ending? You know, I've helped you since day one, and now you're leaving me in the dust? That's wrong, Alice. You're wrong. And he's brought that to the main show. He has no problem looking at Snow White and going, your family is messed up, man. I don't understand it. <laughs> he has no problem looking at Robin Hood or, or Captain Hook and being like, you guys are pretty messed up. Yeah. Like, he, he's become the voice of logic and reason, which is funny because that's not really what his character supposed to be. And he's great because he calls it like it is. And he shows so much range. When the lizard dies and there's an episode where Anastasia dies, seeing him just crying and Physically, I don't, God, it's actually shocked me a little bit because Michael Socha didn't have a double or anything. He's, like, beating his face and his body against these bars, trying to get to these women that are are being killed because of him. And he's physically hurting himself. I think when Lizard dies, like, Michael Socha hits his head on the thing and you can actually see a little cut appear. Like, he does not hold back. He's a very physical actor, and he is, he's fantastic, and he carried the entire show from start to finish. And I'm very sad that Once Upon a Time in Wonderland's not here anymore, because Once Upon a Time has become a shell of what it once was. It's, it's glorified Disney fan fiction right now. Um, I think it's going to keep going. They're just rewriting all their rules, and it's, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. It, the Neverland arc was the last good arc of Once Upon a Time, because Oz was atrocious. Frozen is atrocious. And now we're having Maleficent... Carella and Ursula come back, and my god, they look just like their movie selves, and this is god-awful. <laughs> we'll see how much longer I stick with Once Upon a Time. I want to like it so bad, but it's bad. But Once Upon a Time in Wonderland was amazing. I wish they would come out with a DVD of it, and yeah. Finally, my favorite television show, a 2014, is probably a little bit of a surprise. I've been wanting to do a podcast on this show for a while now, and I just haven't got the chance around to it. And it's going to seem like an odd choice of my favorite show of this year because it didn't even come out this year. In fact, it came out several years ago, but I am including it because I didn't see it until this year. My favorite television show, 2014, and probably, it probably became one of my favorite shows ever. Like, one of my top favorite shows of my life is Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh my god, like, this show is hands down one of the best shows of all time. I will argue that probably at some point, every adult and every child needs to watch this show. God, I hate that, like, kid shows get such a bad rap by adults because they're like, oh, I'm not going to watch this show because it's a kid show. No, shut up. Shut up. Kid shows are amazing. They're so good. And Avatar is one of those that's, that's so incredibly deep and has such, such, sophisticated, such sophisticated plots and characters and stories and theories and just everything about it is... I can't even wait. I'm trying to like form into words of like how amazing the show is. Because, okay. Let's just let's just break it down. Avatar The Last and Airbender, the first one, ran for three seasons. The Legend of Korra is the sequel to it. And the third and last season's finishing up, I think, in a week or two. Either the the last episode is about to air, it's the week after. And the, that's gonna be the end of Korra. The whole premise of Avatar is there's a girl named Katara, and she's a waterbender every... There's uh, four elements, and some people can control these elements. It's fire, earth, water, air, and the airbenders haven't been around for a hundred years because there's been a hundred-year war going on. And this girl, this waterbender named Katara, and her perfectly normal with no bending powers uh, brother Sokka, they find the Avatar who has been missing for a hundred years, and they find him frozen, and they rescue him. And Avatar is this like little young boy named Aang. He's sad to realize that he's been frozen for a hundred years. And he hasn't been doing his duty as the Avatar. And this war, and all his people have been killed. They were killed in a genocide. And he's the last airbender. He has to go defeat the Fire Lord. And that's the whole premise of the show. is He has to stop this 100-year war by defeating the Fire Lord. But he has to master the four elements to come and be his full Avatar self. Like That's the premise. Over the course of the show, they meet a blind earthbender named Toph. And they're being hunted by a firebender kid named Zuko, who is the son of the Fire Lord. Why is this show so good, especially for adults? I've never seen a show handle war and propaganda as well as Avatar. They show that real victims of war are children, but they also show both sides of the conflict. One of which is, doesn't actually always get shown. Like, if you watch a war movie, it's like, oh, they're on the other side, they're bad. They're the bad guys, but you never find out their reasons of fighting. Several times in Avatar, they actually show soldiers. They show, for example, Fire Nation soldiers. And they're just normal people. They're just doing their jobs, you know. Um, there's one where, like, Zuko, uh, it was like Sokka was sitting with them. And they were just hanging out. And Sokka was like, wow, they're actually really nice people. They are just happen to be our enemies. But the best episode of all... Was when there when Aang accidentally gets put into a Fire Nation school, and so he's with all these Fire Nation kids, and he's on the, he you know he's he's he has his guard up because these are the bad guys, and he sits down, and he realizes they're being taught propaganda. They're talking about uh, the Airbenders and that was his people, and the teachers are teaching the kids that the Airbenders were terrible monsters who would slaughter the innocent, and that the great and powerful Fire Nation had to stop them and had to wipe them out to help save the world. And Angus is sitting here going, that's not correct. Those are my people. My people were killed in a genocide. That's not correct. And he realizes that it's not these kids' faults that for the last 100 years, they've been taught the wrong thing. They don't know any better. And he actually befriends the kids in this Fire Nation school and he sees that they can't help their ways. And it's a beautiful, strong episode about uh, how children, through propaganda, are the real victims of war. It's so powerful and so simple. It's simple. It's so simple. Because, you know, people on the, They always say that the victors get to write history. They show that in Avatar. That the other side and the losers don't get to write, write the history books. And that the Fire Nation is writing their own history, and they're creating a nation of brainwashed people. And they actually went on to, like, kind of drive home more of this, kind of, these sentiments in the comics. Like, there were several comics that came out after Avatar ended, and it was, like, stories that happened afterwards. And there was one where they're trying to move Fire Nation colonies out of the Earth Kingdom so the Earth Kingdom can have that land back. But when Zuko and Aang get there, the Fire Nation uh, colonials are sitting here going... We've lived here for a hundred years. This is our home. I was born in this town. I don't want to leave. This is my city. And there's like many families that were like, like, where the mother was Fire Nation and the father was an earthbender, and they're like, why does my mom have to leave when we're married? I was born here. And it's just, it shows the complexities of war, but it's interesting because it's from a kid's point of view. So it really simplifies it. But at the same time, it's not all black and white. Also, Avatar does a really good job of celebrating disabled characters. Like I mentioned, one of the main characters is a girl named Toph. Toph comes in season two, and Toph is blind. What I love about Toph is it doesn't matter that she's blind, and she actually makes blind jokes about herself. Like there's a great episode, like a, a great one where they're like, Toph, look at this! And she goes, well, it sounds like a piece of paper, but I don't know what it says. Like, and she, like, makes her own jokes about herself. Like, there's one where she's like, Oh my god, guys, there it is! And they all go to look, and there's nothing there, and they slowly glare at top, and she's, like, waving her hands in front of her face, like, I know, I can't see! Ha 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 um, Like, they never, there's never a point where she feels bad about herself for being blind. She doesn't care that she's blind. And it's interesting, because she's learned her how to read her surroundings. Like, she she walks barefooted, because she uses seismic waves to see things. She can feel seismic waves in the earth, so like she can walk perfectly and know that there's people around her, know where trees are and she can hear and she uses all her senses. She's an amazing, amazing character. And they're like, th- these disabled characters are celebrated. I remember reading a story on Tumblr about this mom who was, uh, that, who was sad because th- she found out that her child is going blind. And, and she was really upset and the child who was a fan of Avatar went, don't worry mommy I'll be like Toph. I'll be strong like Toph. And it's so important to have these disabled characters represented in media. Like This is why why it's so important to have people of color and disabled characters and all sorts of different kinds of characters in the media. This is the reason why. Because there's someone out there who's going to relate to it. Like and There's another character in Avatar who's in a wheelchair and he's fighting in the war. He, like, he makes a thing to where he can make his wheelchair go fast so he can go fight in the war. Like, that's fantastic. That's amazing. That's an amazing thing to have in a kid's show, of all things. It shows that any kid can do anything. God, and then Zuko. Zuko is, the, at the very beginning of season one, he's hunting the Avatar. Like, that's his one thing, is he's hunting the Avatar because you find out his father threw him out. Prince Zuko was a prince, and his father threw him out. And he said, don't come back until you have the Avatar's head. Zuko has the best redemption arc of the entire season. I've, I've never seen a redemption arc in a villain, ever, that was as good as Zuko. Because he starts off the series and he flat out hates Aang. He flat out hates the Avatar. But as the, as it goes through the, season 1 and into season 2, he's questioning everything. He's meeting people in the world that are not Fire Nation. He's meeting people from the Earth Kingdom. He's meeting people from the Water Tribe. And he's meeting just regular people, and he's seeing the effects that his father has done with this war. And he sees how this war has not only devastated his enemy, he sees how the war has devastated his own people. And he ends up eventually turning his back on his father and turning his back on his nation. He's like, I will not be prince of a nation that I'm not proud of. And after the Fire Lord is defeated, he's like, okay, Aang, I want to be... Uh, a king that my people and the world can be proud of. I, I, I want to fix the Fire Nation. This is not who we are. We are not monsters. And I will not stand for this. And Zuko has the by far best arc of the series. It's so good. Also, I love that adults aren't stupid. The adults of Avatar are not idiots. They are smart. Uh, cause a lot of times in kids shows, they make the adults stupid. Like I always think of this like one episode of iCarly where Carly tricks Spencer and and makes Spencer looks like an idiot. And there's no... She's never reprimanded in it. She never gets in trouble. And Spencer is actually really gets injured. He gets really hurt. And they laugh it off. And a lot of times in kid shows, adults come off looking like idiots. And the kids are the smart ones. The kids are... The adults are not stupid. Iroh is, is incredibly smart. Uncle Iroh is fantastic. He's wise and he's constantly giving them wisdom... But it's up to the kids whether or not they want to listen to it. And he does that because Iroh is Zuko's uncle, and he lets he lets Zuko choose his path. He gives Zuko advice, but it's up to Zuko whether or not he wants to choose that path. And a lot of times, uh, Zuko will ignore him, and then he'll come back like five or six episodes later, and he'd be like, "Iro, you were right. You were right, uncle. I I, I should have listened to you." And he was like, "Well, you learned. You know, you learned the hard way, but at least you learned." And you grew and you became a better person for it. Like, the adults are very smart in the show, and they're conniving. But Probably one of my favorite things about the show, and what makes Avatar so good, is every main character has a weakness, and they work really hard to overcome it. For example, Aang has trouble with firebending, because it's the, op- it's the opposite of, earthbend- of uh, airbending. He's an airbender, and airbenders are monks. Well, fire is a destructive force of nature. It's the most destructive of the elements. And so Aang just struggles and struggles and struggles with it. And he works and works and works until he can finally overcome it. Same thing with Katara. She's a water bender, and every time she has this weakness, she works hard to, to overcome it. But I think the best is Sokka. Sokka is the normal person of the group. He's the only person who's not a bender. You know, Toph is an Earthbender, Zuko is a Firebender, Katara is a wander- Waterbender, and Aang's the Avatar. Sokka is a completely normal person, but what's great about Sokka is he's a tactician. He's this while he's the comedic relief of the show, he's also incredibly smart. He's the one that comes up with their plans, and is even though he doesn't have these like magical abilities, he's just as important to the crew because they're the one they're like, okay, Sokka, we need a plan, and he's like, okay, well here's the plan. And like, he's the smart one. Like is he's, he's the tactician. But also, there's a great episode where Sokka, where, like, there's a fire going on, and they're trying to stop it, and Sokka's like, Okay, well, I'll just stand here then. I'm just gonna stand here while you guys do your thing. And Sokka starts thinking, he's like, You know, I need to be more important to this group. I, I don't feel like I'm helping. And instead of being sad and mopey about it, he, he goes, Hey, I'm gonna learn a new skill. That's exactly what I owe you." And he became a sword master, he went and he found someone to teach him how to be a sword fighter, and he mastered the sword. And he saw a weakness, and he fixed it, and he was the best sword fighter of the group. And he he was fantastic, and I like that. Because the show teaches, like, even if you have a weakness, you can learn to overcome it. And that's what makes Avatar The Last Airbender one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. Like, the entire show as a whole... It's fantastic, and I hate that it has such a slow start because I can see where a lot of people might not get into it. I actually, it took, you know, I would watch an episode and, like, wait a few days before watching the next one. It wasn't until it really got into the second the, to, like, the middle of season one that I was like, Oh my god, I have to watch the next episode. I have to watch it. Oh my god. And it just built on it. I mean, like, my favorite episode is The Library, and there's this spirit animal, and it's a giant, it's a giant owl. Well, the library is also just a fantastic episode, it's hands down my favorite. But the owl, like, you know, questions the Avatar, and and they're like, no, we need to find these, like, special things to, like, help beat this war, and we have to beat the Fire Nation, and we gotta win the war! And the, the owl looks at him and goes, what makes your war more justified than any other war? So many of you humans have come looking for your enemy's weakness, and every war is the same. Your war is not special. It's the exact same as every war and it makes them question what they're fighting for. I mean, like, it's just the show's brilliant. I wish Korra was as good. Now granted, I just finished season one of Korra. I, have, I haven't I have even started season two yet, and most people have said that that season two and on is the best of Korra. So while season one is was really good, and it's much darker than Avatar, it's, I think Avatar is still my favorite thus far. Though season one of Korra was written to be a special, like a 12-episode miniseries, and then they got green-lighted for season two and three. Season one is a nice standalone season. I can't wait to see where they take season two. Legend of Korra, because every Avatar gets reincarnated into the next one, it's actually the Avatar is a cycle. Korra is the new Avatar. She takes Aang's place. It is much darker than Avatar. It's, it's way more political, where there's an all-out war in Avatar The Last Airbender. and Legend of Korra, it's all politics. There's, there's a political movement going on, it's, it's happening around Korra. Um, it's much darker, it's much more heavy. Uh, especially the last half, like this, the last, I'd say, three or four episodes are really heavy. There was a few times I was watching this and I was like, this is disturbing to me, and I'm 27. I don't know if I would want my like, 10-year-old to watch this show. It's definitely tailored to an older crowd. I could do without the love triangle. <laughs> I don't care about the love triangle. I could give a shit about it. But the difference is I think is because they're teenagers. We're in Avatar, uh, The Last Interpreter. they're clearly kids. I think Zuko's the I think Sokka and Zuko are the oldest and they're like 12. You know, the group in in Korra clearly 1617 they're much older and I think I think that's the real difference and so that's why the material was more heavy and more more political opposed to just like this is the black and white of war like these are the gray areas of politics (laughs) so yeah that's that's my tv spiel avatar the last airbender still even though it came out several years ago it was my favorite television show 2014 I absolutely loved it. It was it was it's beautiful. It's a beautiful show, the artwork's amazing. Please go watch Avatar and please stick with Avatar. It's it has a slow start, but it's it's worth it. It's worth your time. It is it is breathtakingly amazing. Go you have to go watch it. Next, I'm gonna talk about my favorite comics of 2014. I recently started working in a comic book store, so I have a lot of access to comics and it's been fun and great and I love it. So I'm gonna talk about my favorite comics of this year. First and foremost, the big Marvel event of this year was, a, was an event called Original Sin. The whole premise of Original Sin was the Watcher was murdered, and it's pretty much a who done it, like who murdered the Watcher. What I really liked most about the Original Sin is it, con- it exposed all your superheroes, and I've heard a lot of people like, have critiques about it because it's been done before and it's nothing new, but I, I, I liked how it was approached because you have the tie-ins, for example, where Deadpool found out he's a father... I like Deadpool, but I'm not like a, oh man, Deadpool, I love Deadpool. Like, I'm not a big Deadpool fan, but his his original sin story was great because he found out he was a father. The first time he saw his daughter, she she was normal. You know, you know if you know Deadpool, he's all scarred up and mauled. But his daughter was perfect, and she was normal. She was just like this cute little girl. And he didn't want to believe that was his daughter because she was too pretty. And she was too perfect, and he's not, and he didn't want to believe that. And it was a really deep, good story for Deadpool. I like the Thor and Loki tie-in. I like finding out about Angela. Angela, from who's been in Guardians of the Galaxy recently in that story, is their sister. And now she has a new series called Angela, uh, Angela Asgard Assassin. And the first one just came out this week, this last week, because new comic day is Wednesday. So yeah, this last week it just came out, and it was, it's a really good read. And, so, and I enjoy watching, I've been enjoying the Loki, Agent of Asgard series too. I like this run of Loki as well. And it made Thor not worthy. And it was just, it was a big event because it set a lot of things to the course. Like, now that Thor's not worthy, we have the much talked about girl Thor. I know Thor's not a girl and it's not girl Thor, but I'm saying girl Thor just to differentiate between the character of Thor and the new Thor. Because they're all Thor. Everyone's Thor. Everyone's Thor. <laughs> Everyone is Thor in this Marvel, apparently. No, but I just, I really liked a lot of things that said in the course of action. We got the new Bucky Barnes series. I've been enjoying the new Bucky Barnes series. Alice Cott is fantastic. I've really been enjoying Alice Cott's work in Bucky Barnes and um, in Secret Avengers. Both are fantastic. Go read them. But I, I just really liked the run of the Virginal sin. Um, I was not expecting the murderer to be who it was. Well, you can kind of start seeing who it was about book five of eight. So the last three books were like, come on, guys, get to that conclusion. I know who it is. I know who the killer is. Come on, you guys. Be smart. Come on. But I really liked the original sin more for the tie-ins. The tie-ins were really good. I really liked the Iron Man versus Hulk. I liked the Thor and Loki in the 10th realm. I liked the Deadpool one. It was much better in Axis because this run of Axis is really bad. I'm really, I'm not enjoying. It, it took Book Four, the first, getting the to issue like three or four of Axis before I was really starting to at least somewhat like Axis. But that being said, I'm not the biggest Rick Remender fan. Rick Remender is very hit and miss with me, so when I saw that he was running Axis and he was the main writer of it, I was very, I take, I take Remender's work with a grain of salt because I either really like it. Like, I liked Bitter March. I liked Winter Soldier Bitter March. Or, I really hate it. Like, his run of Captain America, which is just atrocious. Um, though, I will say I love Brew Baker. So, Remender had really big shoes to fill after Brew Baker. So, yeah, anyway. But, yeah, Original Sin was just a really good run. A really nice mm-hmm. miniseries. And I really, especially the tie ins, I, I really enjoyed that big event this year. Now, the other comic from Marvel, from the Marvel camp that I really, really, really love. It's so good, and I can't wait, because I got it for my niece for Christmas, so don't tell her. (laughs) Don't tell my niece I got it for her for Christmas, because I I hope she likes it as much as I did. But Miss Marvel. So you know how in Avatar I was saying how representation is really important in the media? That's what Miss Marvel is. Kamala Khan is in Miss Marvel. She's the main character. She's 14 years old. She's Pakistani-American, and she just wants to be normal. You know her family is, is religious and conservative, and Kamala just wants to hang out with her friends. Who is a guy? They're not boyfriend and girlfriend. They're not boyfriend and girlfriend at all. It's just a guy friend, and she's a girl. Her parents don't like. She just wants to hang out with her friends and eat cheeseburgers and be American and like that. Like, that's how she wants. Like she doesn't want to be like her family. She ends up getting superpowers. You find out why later. I don't want to spoil it, but. You find out why she gets superpowers, but she ends up getting superpowers, and she now has to not only deal with her her conservative family, she has to deal with superpowers. She, her entire world is not normal anymore. What I love about Kamala though is is I relate a lot to her. Um, Kamala's fourteen. She's a nerd. She writes fan fiction. She writes fanfiction about the X-Men. There's actually a great point where she looks right at Wolverine. Like, when she meets Wolverine, she's like, Oh my god, you need to read my fanfiction with you and Cyclops? And Wolverine is like, please, please don't finish that sentence. I don't want to know how that sentence ends. Please, please, please don't. No, 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 no. I mean, but I really relate to Kamala, because when I was 14, I was a lot like her. Hell, I'm 27, and I still write fan fiction. Like, I just, I relate to Kamala, and I see, I know what it's like to be a little nerdy girl. My family, while not Islamic, is, you know, very religious, and I grew up in a religious family. And it took me them a while to realize that I'm not uh, to not get to, into it too, too much, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in the church. I believe the church is, is not good. <laughs> but I am a Christian, but I just I, I think the actual concept of church is not great. But that's just me. I don't care if people are religious, and I don't care if they go to church. I don't care if my family's very religious, so people can do what they want. They can worship what they want. Good for them. So, uh, But I, I understand Kamala's position, because I've been in that position myself. I know what it's like to be weird and not normal. I was a nerd in school, so I just I get Kamala. Absolutely understand her, and I also love seeing her Pakistani influences come in. I like seeing this kind of side that we don't always see in comics. There's not a lot of Islamic superheroes in comics, you know. That's that's not a big genre. It's not every day that we see Captain America talk to like Captain Islam. <laughs> like it doesn't happen, and I and I'm happy to see this kind of fresh new badge of, of kind of characters emerging. I mean, because I mean, DC is starting to get some of those in, too. And it's, it's great. Representation is so important in the media. We need it in the media. I'm, I'm a very firm believer of this. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. You can leave me a review on iTunes. And I would love to hear it. I would love to hear it. I'd be more than happy to read all reviews on iTunes. Say so yes. So I, I absolutely freaking loved Miss Marvel. Miss Marvel was fantastic. I wait for it every month. It's the, probably the second comic that I'm on the edge of my seat for. The first comic I'm waiting every month for I'll talk about in after Gotham Academy. Because Gotham Academy was my big thing I love out of DC. If it's not obvious, if you look through the history of my podcasts, you know I'm very much a Marvel girl. I am not a DC girl, and which is which is weird for me because I actually grew up with DC. I didn't actually start really reading Marvel until college, and uh, it was before any of the movies came out. Is when I didn't I didn't read Marvel until really late in my life. I grew up with DC. I just I'm not a big fan of the new Fifty Two. I've given it, it several tries. I've tr- I I really like Teen Titans. Teen Titans has been good. The new Fifty Two, um, but I've also always been a Teen Titans fan. Um, Red Hood and the Outlaws has been really good too. And Aquaman. Aquaman was the biggest surprise in the New 52, and it's freaking spectacular. <laughs> While everything else sucked. Court of Owls. Batman Court of Owls was really good. Really enjoyed that. Death in the Family was really good. Harley has been really good. But I mean, I'm just, I'm not a big DC fan with the current DC stories. I i just, I'm gonna, I'm about to make everyone gasp half, I'm about to make half my group gasp, but I, I don't like Superman. I, I've never liked Superman. <laughs> Superman has always bored me. Even when I was a kid, I could never get into Superman. I've just, I've never liked Superman. I can hear half of the two true freaks guys, my fellow co-hosts gasping and freaking out, and my friend from Legends of Gotham, Bill Meeks, I can hear him freaking out too. So I'm I'm just, I'm not a big DC girl, so when I saw Gotham Academy and I saw the premise and everything, it looked really cute. (laughs) I... I absolutely love high school settings. Maybe it's just because I loved high school. I was a weird kid. I had a really fun high school experience. I loved high school. And so high school settings are like always some of my favorite settings. When I saw Gotham Academy, it's high school drama. And Batman. (laughs) Like, it's fantastic. I love what they're building, though, because it's all new characters. The only character that's in there that we actually know anything about, you know, previously, is Bruce Wayne. But Bruce is not the main character. It's all about a girl named Olive. Olive Silverlocks. Something happened to her over the summer. Poor Olive. Uh, She, it changed her life. And we still, as of issue three, don't know what actually really happened to her. We know that something happened to her mom and that her mom is sick, and she might not make it. Which is a very normal thing to happen, except for whatever happened with her mom made Bruce Wayne notice her. Olive uh, is scared of Batman. Olive has a desperate, terrible fear of Batman. And she sees images of him and hallucinations of him. So whatever happened with her, Bruce Wayne knows exactly who she is. There's also a mystery surrounding the mysterious daughter of the penguin. And Olive, for some reason, has the diary of the daughter of the penguin. And she is drawn to this mystery about what actually happened to Penguin's daughter. If you have daughters who, who are especially teenage daughters, I would definitely give it a try. Like, give it to them to read. And I've been enjoying it. I would say it's a pretty good comic if you're trying to get like your girlfriend or your wife to read it. And I, I also think you should give it a try. It has a really... Issue one's is like a little intro issue, you're just kind of getting to know everybody, but Issue 2 is when they really start building the story. And it's, the third issue just came out, so I mean, it's not very far along. I've been enjoying it, I really like Gotham Academy, I, I highly suggest giving it a try. But it's not the best comic of the year. The best comic of the year that I am desperately waiting for, and I've read the first trade paperback, and I loved it so much that I came back the next day, and bought the second and third trade paperback, and then when I finished the third one... I then went to try to find all the single issues. I was missing issue 19 and issue 21 and I didn't care (laughs) because I wanted to read it so bad because it was so good and that is Saga. Saga is by far the best comic out there right now. Why are you not reading Saga? It's fantastic. If you haven't read Saga, what what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? The premise of Saga is it's star wars meets game of thrones meets romeo and juliet that is the premise it's about this war that's been going on for forever and a lady named elena and a guy named marco and they're from two different warring planets and this war has been going on for a long time now and elena and marco fall in love and they have a baby and that's how book one opens is elena's giving birth to their baby and all they want to do is escape, embrace their kid, and be happy, and just be happy in their love. Now, the whole story is narrated from the point of view of Hazel, who is the baby, and it's it's her retelling the story of her parents. And so what's going on in this war is it's been going on on for so long that no one really knows what they're fighting for anymore. When it comes to how all these different planets and races are fitting into it, pretty much they, the the two opposite sides would just go to planets and be like, you're either going to fight for us or we're going to massacre your people. So every race pretty much in the galaxy is fighting in this war. That's one good cool thing about Saga is there is a ton of different character types. There are a ton of different races. Like there's a freelancer, a fr- like a freelancing bounty hunter called the Stock, And she's a giant spider woman. And, and that's normal. That's normal in Saga to be a giant Spider Woman who is still somehow sexy and funny and smart and and awesome. To be a giant Spider Woman, that's totally okay. There's also a planet called Sextillion where you have these giant heads with legs coming out where the neck is, and that's perfectly normal in Saga. Like it's so it's so off the wall. And like the races are, I, I just I can't. It's beautiful. Like it's it's so beautiful about how unique this story is because the very like premise of the story is very basic. It's a love story. It they're trying to escape this war. And they want to raise their baby. And then what's normal in saga is everybody else's story. Like they have these bounty hunters that are chasing them, but each of the bounty hunters have their own agenda. Like there's a bounty hunter called the Will, and he's lovers with the Stock, the Spider Lady. And something happens to Stock, and the Will wants revenge. So he gets his own agenda. There's a guy named Prince Robot IV. Prince Robot is coming off his leave from fighting the war, and all he wants to do is raise his family. He wants to start a family with his wife. That's only once, But now he has to chase down Elena and Marco. So over time, he gets frustrated with the war, and he gets frustrated with this, And something happens to his family. So he ends up teaming up with Alina and Marco. Like, I mean, everything... Every person in Saga has their own agenda. And, like, they have a nanny. Like, Alina and Marco get a nanny. The weird thing is, the nanny is a ghost. Like, so it's a really straightforward, normal storyline. But the weird thing is the world around it and, like, the context. So, like, having a nanny is a normal thing. It's interesting because the nanny is a ghost. They, for example... Elena gets a job that where she can hide in. She gets a job working in a reality TV circuit, but it's interesting because in the reality TV sh- circuit in this world, everybody wears a mask, so she can hide herself. And it's interesting because she starts dealing with drugs. Well, drug problems are a very normal thing in our world. So Elena and Marco, who are these aliens, have to deal with this drug problem, which is a normal thing. So like Saga is just really beautiful because at the base, it's a very normal story, but the circumstances of how the story is put together is what makes it interesting. Like, Marco's ex-girlfriend is hunting Marco, but what ends up happening is, while she's hunting him, she ends up falling in love with one of the bounty hunters, and so she's not really hunting him anymore, but she has to because it's her duty of her people, but she doesn't really want to over time. Like, I mean, it's just the entire thing is complex and beautiful. I've sat down, and I've read the first three trades several times, I've read it, and it just, you've noticed everything. Fiona Staples' art is freaking beautiful. It is so beautiful, and it's fantastic, and I just, I could stare at her art for hours. I suggest, get if you haven't started Saga yet, or even if you had, take your trade paperbacks, trade them in, and get the hardcover. The hardcover edition that just recently came out is the first three trades and about 20 pages of extra notes, extra arts, it has storybook. It has the the story scripts in it. It's 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 well worth. It's well worth your fifty dollars. Like it is, Saga is hands down the best comic I've ever probably read in my life. I I just I sit and I wait every month for the next one. The fourth trade is coming out this this month, and even though I've already read those issues, I can't wait to sit down and read it again. I I cannot get enough of Saga, and it's beautiful. It's complex. It's funny. It's funny. It's so funny and it's gritty and it's real. It is for mature audiences. There's a lot of nudity and swearing and gore and giant troll penises. (laughs) The giant troll penis was one I was just like, oh, they did that. Wow. Uh, (laughs) Saga is just fantastic and it's breathtaking. And if you're not reading Saga, why are you not reading it? So that's my best of 2014 very right, fast uh, you might be looking at this list going hope there are things on this list that I'm surprised by you why is this not on your list well some of the things i just haven't seen yet like for example something that i might have missed on my i missed on my tv list was constantine but i haven't had a chance to watch constantine the entire series is sitting on my dvr right now and a lot of it is because like i said i'm working both this and full time writing and podcasting and working at at, at the comic book store. I just haven't had time. <laughs> I haven't had time to sit and watch Constantine. I can't wait to watch it, and I'm really sad that, to hear that it looks like it's already been cancelled. But I, I do look forward to sitting down and watching Constantine. There's also three movies that I've missed this year that I regret that I haven't seen yet. One is Maleficent. I've been wanting to see it really bad, especially well, while I'm not the biggest Angelina Jolie movie, or uh, not the biggest Angelina Jolie fan. I really wanted to see the and it looks good. I like those premises. You guys know, made us right up my alley with *Once Upon a Time*. It's very similar. The other two big ones that I haven't had a chance to see is *Big Hero 6*. I want to see it so bad. I hate that I haven't seen *Big Hero 6* yet. Oh, I've been waiting so long for this movie, and I haven't had a chance to go see it. Oh, it breaks my heart. But yeah, *Big Hero 6* and *Hunger Games: Mockingjay Part 1*. Now, when it comes to *Mockingjay*, I I do want to see it but I'm not excited for it mainly because Hunger Games and Catching Fire I absolutely loved those books and I absolutely loved those movies um, the, the Mockingjay book was atrocious it's my least favorite book of the series I I absolutely hated Mockingjay the book was just I trudged to get through it I reached the point where it was almost it was a matter of pride to finish the book I just I just had to had to finish it just to say I did it but I I just I, I think the movie would be better than the actual book and I've heard a lot of people say that like I've heard that people say that the movie is better than the book but I've also heard a lot of people say that the movie is the worst of the three so I just haven't as much as I want to see it I just haven't made myself go see it yet I probably won't see Mockingjay until it's on DVD but I can't wait to see Big Hero 6 and the other thing of 2014 And the very last point, is I am still looking forward to next week when The Hobbit Battle of Five Armies come out. You guys don't know how, like, how inconsolable I will be when The Hobbit ends. When I go to that theater and I watch Battle of Five Armies, when those credits roll, I'm gonna be sobbing my head off. For me, the Hobbit movies and the Lord of the Rings movies have been 17 years of my life, which is almost exactly half of my life. I, now, I haven't really had a chance to talk much about it, about it on the show. I think the Lord of the Rings movies are still worlds better than the Hobbit movies, but the Hobbit movies have been good. But when I was in high school and middle school, but middle and high school, I, I transferred schools my 8th grade year. And so I started new and I didn't have any friends I made friends through Lord of the Rings, and some of them, like, for example, my friend Billy is my best friend to this day. Like, is, like, she is my best friend, and we bonded over Lord of the Rings. I made friends. I saw Fellowship of the Rings 13 times in theaters, four times in IMAX, and one time at the Fox Theater in Atlanta, mainly because my sister worked at the movie theater, so we got free tickets. That's the reason. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I could have saw any other movie, but no, I wanted to see Fellowship of the Rings. I had to see it. And it has been a love and a passion and obsession for pretty much half my life, almost exactly half my life. I'm going to be, I'm going to lose it. When, when Return of the King ended, you know, we, we didn't know that there were going to be Hobbit movies. I curled up at a ball at the, as the credits were rolling of Return of the King and I sobbed. I, I remember very vividly sobbing because it was over. It was, it was over. Like Those movies were done. It was, uh, like, this weird void. Like, you know, I read the books, and I love the books. Don't get get me wrong, I absolutely love the books. But, like, that experience of the movies was ended. And I went through the same thing with Harry Potter. I cried my eyes out when Harry Potter ended. And and it's going to happen now with Lord of the Rings, because then when they announced The Hobbit, you know, I got to relive the rebirth of this fandom. And so, like, when I was a teenager and, like, enjoyed the love of the Lord of the Rings movies... Now, like, some of my younger friends and, like, my nieces are, like, my niece is now old enough to enjoy that as well. This new generation is now discovering Lord of the Rings and loving The Hobbit. So it's, like, this new, like, like this new breath of life in the fandom that's been pretty dormant for a while. Like, I remember before The Hobbit movies being online and people would, like, you know, they would talk about Lord of the Rings but didn't have, like, the oomph it did. And now it's all come back, like, people are experiencing The Lord of the Rings for the first time to go back and, like, to, like, help love The Hobbit movies. And so having, like, this new breath of life in the fandom has been so great these last few years. It's all about to end again, and I hope it kind of goes on like the Harry Potter series, because with Harry Potter, the fandom is not dead. The fandom is still very much alive, and it's still thriving. It's just thriving in a different way, and I think we're going to get that with the Hobbit series. I'm really looking forward to next week, and I'm going to be crying my eyeballs out, and <laughs> I'm going to be really sad. I can't wait for The Hobbit, but don't, don't touch me. When those credits roll, don't touch me, because I'm going to be curled up in my seat crying. I'll, I'll be okay. If you see me crying in the seat, I'll be fine. Just, just let me cry my eyes out. <laughs> um, and I already heard that Billy Boyd, Billy Boyd who played Pippin, has already recorded the song, and I saw the music video for it, And just watching the music video made me sob. Like, it's it's the ending song of the movies. I I cried watching the music video. I'm just, I'm gonna be a mess. (laughs) So on that note, with me crying my eyes out, yeah, that's my recap of 2014. That's my nerdy, nerdy recap. 2014 was a weird year. Um, It has a little bit of everything, and I can't wait to podcast some more in 2015. I might get out one more show this year. I don't know. I'm not going to put my money on it. <laughs> but uh, if, if I don't get out another show this year, thank you guys so much for always following me and being supportive and being lovely, even though I've been a little bit skittish this year and not always here. But you guys are absolutely fantastic. I do this for you guys. And I I, I love podcasting, and I love being with you guys, and I love your feedback. If you would like to give feedback, uh, you can leave a review, a review on iTunes. And whether it's a good review or a bad review, I'd love to know how I'm doing. And I'll read it on my next podcast. You can also send feedback to hope at 2truefreaks.com. I will also read that on the show. Now, keep in mind, it might be a while before my next show, so if it's a really pressing matter, uh, let me know, and I'll email you back ASAP. If you, Thanks to you guys so much for staying with me and listening to me rant about my favorite things about 2014. You can follow me on Twitter, at Hope Molinax. You can also find me on my website, geekygirlexperience.com. I say, as I'm still building my website, that I've been building forever. It's coming along, trust me, I promise you. You can also find me at Tumblr at GeekyGirlExperience and Once Upon an Obsession. And yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Have a great holiday and have a great new year. And I will see you guys probably in 2015. All right, everyone, bye.